Hey, welcome back to SwitchCast. We are live as we are every Wednesday at 8 p.m. And we appreciate you joining us wherever you're watching. I'm your host, Doug Tabbitt, and I'm the founder of SwitchCast and Switch Cars. And uh, I've set the Cannonball record a couple times. Been a while since I bragged about that. But uh, anyway, with me tonight is the official supplier of banter, Tyler Sanders, and our producer, Ethan Huffnagel, who is the digital call screener, which means he will filter the questions that come in from TikTok. And if they're good enough or pay enough, then uh, they'll get through. So uh, we're going to start right out with some updates from stuff we talked about last week, some market updates and some questions. And we've got a pretty interesting, I think, main topic tonight, which is cars as investments. Now, before you run away saying you've already talked about that numerous times, you are correct. We have. But there is a new company that just launched, yet another uh, fractional ownership uh, car fund, and we want to dive into that a little bit, as well as get into the specifics and the history of how some of the other ones have done. So uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit later on in the show. But if you're watching us live on TikTok, YouTube, or Facebook, throw your questions in now, and we'll try our best to get to them. But we do want to start out with a few that were left over from last week, because they are good ones. So fire away, Tyler. Yes, so first up, this comes to you from SwitchCast.Live. And those of you listening uh, who do not know what SwitchCast.Live is, it is your place, your hub for all SwitchCast information, and we love to prioritize questions that uh, come in in the comments there. Uh, So if you really want to get to talk to Doug and uh, have me read it... uh, in the sound live of my voice, air. live on air. Goodness, words are tough. Um, anywho, so this is David Chow from Switchcast. Uh, hold on. In what other sound would you read it other I'd, than the sound of your voice? I'm not really sure where I was going there. My my mouth was ahead of my brain for a second. Just saying words. We are synced up now and ready to go. We've all been there. I haven't had enough pre-show whiskey tonight, so I need to wait for it to. Don't to give kick away in. our secrets. <laughs> Whoops. Sorry. Now I'm getting fired. Uh, so David Chow. Says, do you think the pre facelift or the yeah the pre facelift W two twelve E sixty three AMG wagon used car prices have hit the bottom of the depreciation curve? Also, in your opinion, what is the required optional equipment? Since I want to buy one soon. All right. So for the the non AMG or Mercedes nerds, which I'm actually not a super Mercedes nerd. I don't know all the the prefixes and model codes for the older stuff, but uh, a W212 is, uh, was it 2009 to 2013, I believe. Uh, The facelift happened in 2014. So the E63 wagon, which is the twin turbo V8 AMG that they made then, uh, was quite rare, and it was rear-wheel drive. Two years only. I think they made like 200 each year or something pretty rare like that um so you might even get a one of one in the right spec uh they love to burn rear tires and um they're really fantastic road trip cars but they are pretty cheap you can pick one up for 30 to 35 grand now pretty much all day long which i think is a smoking deal especially since the previous generation the 211 and 210 uh like the e55s and e63s are at least that. I mean, a, a really good E55 wagon is like 40, 50 grand, I believe. So uh, I think they're a fantastic value for the money. And um, they had a little bump in price during COVID, but they seem to be back down in the low to mid 30s again. And I think 
I don't know what else you buy for that money. Um, so if that's an answer, I think that's it, right? I kind of go off of intrinsic <laughs> or comparative value to say if something's undervalued or not. And, you know, when when there's nothing else out there with that kind of power and utility and tire burn, burning capability for the money, yeah, that's great deal. Are there any like expensive maintenance options you got to, or options, maintenance things you got to watch out for with those? Um, yeah, the engines, uh, was it, I don't know if it's the valve guides or an internal, uh, 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 cylinder issue at higher mileage can have some issues. So you got to kind of keep track of that. Um, but other than that, they tend to be quite reliable. Yeah, you know, just just the engines. Yeah, you, you know, know, as long as the engine doesn't blow, kind of like nine nine sixes. Yeah, my nine nine six is great when the engine's working. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you have any optional equipment that you think they should be spec'd with? To ceramic brakes. No. <laughs> really? Yes. Yeah, I I love ceramic brakes. They're they're dust free, and if you buy a car used with ceramic brakes, you're not paying as big of a premium versus new. Um, so I'm all about it. They're, they're very low maintenance. Um, they last longer if you're not putting incredible amounts of heat in them. So I'm, I'm always a fan of ceramic brakes and they're usually bigger too. So they fill out the wheels better and often manufacturers spec them with different color calibers. So it's like you get that instant clout of like, ooh, I got yellow calipers. I'm better than you because you have red calipers. You flex on all the plebs. Right. <laughs> right, commoners. <laughs> Would you, there's one I've got up for sale right now uh, that has 117,000 miles. Would you shy away from that? No. Nice. No. Seems like they're pretty well worth it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, that is probably not the rear-wheel drive one, but uh, a post-facelift E63 wagon is the next family car for us. We have a um, W212 uh, AMG package E350 wagon, but it doesn't have enough brakes for the weight of the car the way we drive it anyway, and it's a 3.5-liter V6, which gets the job done. It's a perfect car for my wife, but when you really want to pass somebody on the highway... I could I could use a bi turbo V eight. Need a little oomph, right? I need two more cylinders and two more turbos than what I have, <laughs> and I think that's a very reasonable ask. Very. All right. Next up is Club Racer Six via YouTube. Uh, Club Racer Six says, "Really enjoy these. Thank you very much. Glad you're glad you're having a good time." I think uh, he's talking about like the crackers that he's eating or something like that. Oh well, that's can't be our likely. podcast. Uh, if you happen to save questions for next time, we do. Wonder how Doug feels about the Carrera GT and what he likes about it, or what he likes about the F50 more than it. Uh, I love them both. I think it's hilarious, by the way, that the Carrera GTs are on a worldwide stop drive order from Porsche. I was hoping it would tank the value so that I could like trade somebody straight up for my Diablo. Um, no, I, I really, really love the Carrera GT. It's, it's, I think if I could have any Porsche ever made, it would be that. Uh, I know a lot of historians and serious collectors will will vilify me for that comment, but whatever. I don't more care. than like a seventy three RS. Yeah, nice. Yeah, it's it's exotic. It's like the first exotic car they made. They made a lot of amazing race cars back in the day, but they weren't fundamentally street cars. Like a, a nine sixty two now is an exotic car, but it it was it was a race car first. So anyway, um, I, I like the philosophy of both of them that they were 
essentially, I, I'm oversimplifying this. The Carrera GT was at first a race car project that was abandoned and then brought back as a street car to really oversimplify it. The F50 also has race car lineage in that it is, I think, the only car that Ferrari made that used an actual Formula One engine in a street car. And it um, not only stuck an engine in a street car, but it used the design where the, the engine was a uh, stressed member of the chassis. So it was all one unit. So, and the Carrera GT is, is the same way. Um, so they have similar design philosophy, and I think that's really cool, which also makes them a handful to drive at the limit. Um, I think they're both both incredible cars. The F50, to me, represents more of a poster car. The F50 is that 90s Ferrari swooping lines. You know, it, it just, it has a presence, whereas a Carrera GT in silver could almost go unnoticed if you just glanced at the front of it you'd be like oh it's it's another porsche like those that know know that it's not but the f50 is way more exotic way more exotic so a carrera gt is not a car i would take a glass of wine and go in my garage and be like this is the most beautiful thing ever it's really really cool um but an f50 is just that's it that's it. It's one of the most radical designs, yet cohesive, the way the lines and the vents and everything flow. That's what does it for me. That's so good. Uh, next up, Tinfoil Timmy on Switchcast.live asks you, what is your opinion of the Elise and Exige platform? Fantastic cars. Uh, I love that they put a Toyota 1.8 liter in that uh, car. And... Um, you know, made it one for the U.S. market, uh, two, that they kind of mass produced it. They made it reliable, um, capable. Anybody could go out and use one. I remember renting one in Vegas one time and I drove it all around, drove it to the track. I mean, they were really, really hard to break unless you tried to put too much power in that engine. And they made really capable track cars. Um, they were a whole different philosophy of what people were making in cars at the time. It kind of like harkened back to Colin Chapman's just add lightness philosophy of design. So uh, I think they knocked it out of the park. I think it's a great, you know, kind of keep and hold car. I think they'll always have enduring value. And I mean, some of the special edition Exiges are, are skyrocketing in value. Actually, we, we touched on a Exige 260 Um uh, a few weeks ago that sold on bring a trailer for like 132 grand, which is a major, you know, that, that was a, a record for that model. Now there's just something special on like a nice back road. Those cars feel incredible in Absolutely. heavy traffic. Very sketchy, very small, <laughs> well, <laughs> but on a good background, <laughs> the, the reflectors on the road in Vegas, which I appreciate, right? Cause you can actually see your lanes out there when it's raining and dark, which it rarely rains, but whatever, you can see what lane you're in because the reflectors are so, you know, prominent. But 
when you're driving in a lease and you go over the reflector, it like you bounce and it pull like <laughs> the oh, car just flips over. Lanes. Like you yeah. have to avoid them, similar to how you would avoid a raccoon in a normal car. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Uh, next up is a leftover from TikTok uh, from username Michael. Doug, were you ever able to find your C6 RS Corvette? Uh, I mean, yes, I found it. Have not purchased it. I've been offered a number of them, but most of them are super low mileage cars, and I don't want one of those because I want to drive it and not kill the value. Um, the red one in particular that I was searching for that eluded me prior. Um, there was a great story on VinWiki about the, uh, the how was it how a scorned lover would not let me buy her Corvette C6 RS, <laughs> and. Um, I'm not going to retell it here. It's a 10 minute story. We've got too many other things to touch on today, but um, yes, I did find it. The owner does not want to sell it. It is here in Ohio. It is not for sale. And unfortunately for me, the market on those has gone up quite a bit lately. And actually a yellow one that sold at Gooding earlier this year at Amelia Island is selling again at Mecham Kissimmee in January, and they've got a huge estimate on it. So We'll see. We'll Is that see. red one the super high mileage one? Yes. Gotcha. By super high mileage, just like 15,000 miles. Well, relative. The, most <laughs> of the rest of them are 1,000 or less. Switchcast is brought to you by BoxCast. BoxCast is a live streaming company based in Cleveland, Ohio, and they serve broadcasters and viewers around the world. Their founders launched BoxCast back in 2013 with a single purpose, to make people a part of the experience. So if you're looking to live stream your podcast, church service, car show, sporting event, wedding, or even your cannonball attempt, BoxCast is an easy and flexible live streaming platform for organizations. BoxCast is so easy that we're broadcasting this show with a phone. So head on over to switchcars.com forward slash BoxCast for your free trial. And uh, welcome uh, to Hank the Corvette Curmudgeon. How are you doing tonight, Hank? Oh, just fine, Tyler. Love it. It is very cold outside. I'm surprised you're here. Yeah, well, it's not snowing, so... Uh, that's true. That was the one thing that got yep. you last time. I ain't scared of a little <laughs> bit of cold. <laughs> Noted. I have real flannel, unlike that hipster stuff you wear, brand name <laughs> crap. You know, I'm not even wearing flannel tonight, Hank. I think that was a little uncalled for. <laughs> well, you look like the type of guy who would. Uh, that I do have a lot of flannel. You're not wrong. I'm offended because you're right. <laughs> Um, anyway, so tonight... Probably cost twice as much as mine, has half the insulation. <laughs> also, not wrong, but painful. Um, so tonight, uh, we've got a, we a website for this podcast, switchcast.live, that we've talked about tonight. And a user named Richard Hardy uh, submitted a Facebook marketplace ad for a car. Yep, and I've been on the Facebook. Have you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so this a lot of friggin' idiots on there that want way too much money for their Corvettes. And I tell them they want too much money too. I make sure they know that they're overpriced. Do they respond? Yep, yep. Usually we get in some fights on the internet and <laughs> lots of typing back and forth. Have you ever been banned from a group or, or from Facebook for bad language or for inciting nope. arguments? Nope. All right. That's good. You keep it clean. I don't swear at people. I just tell them the truth. That they're wrong. Bluntly. <laughs> Love it. All right. So, Hank, for this, I'm not going to tell you what the car is, but I'm going to tell you some features about it and see if you can figure out what kind of car this is. Okay. 
So, uh, this car ha- is, uh, the exterior color is black and it has tan trim and the interior is black leather. Uh, it's got 17 inch chrome wheels and it has a trailer that, I mean, this is pretty sweet. The trailer looks like part of the car. Matching trailer. It must be a Plymouth Prowler. I'm not going to tell you anything. But okay. yet, it is a matching trailer. Well, them Prowler boys like to have them trailers back and back behind them. They think it's cute or something. Probably because they got no trunk space in their actual car. A Corvette has a ton of trunk space. You know, if I was a golfer, I could put two sets of golf clubs in my Corvette. Can you really? That's impressive. Oh, sure. That's, wow, that's You amazing. could put about five in the hatchback. I don't know why you'd want to do that, but you could. <laughs> Uh, so the interior equipment on this mystery car includes air conditioning, thank goodness. It has a CD stereo, two roof-mounted DVD players, and nitrogen with spray nozzles in the engine compartment. What? Uh, so the, they go on to say that it was used as a, it's used as a prop during parades and car shows only. So this is a, this is a pretty special car. With that being said... Is it rare? Uh, you could say that. Uh, that being said, only driven to car shows and in parades, it does have 50,000 oh, yes. miles. What? 50,000 <laughs> miles to car shows? Yeah, they must be going all over the place my to get goodness. to these shows. How far is he driving to a car show? I don't go beyond about 10 miles from my house. Yeah, it's in nuts. Must goodness be going on road gracious. trips. Uh, that okay. person, I think, is addicted to car shows. <laughs> I think so. Maybe they're not winning enough and they feel like they have to go to more or something. Well, they do go on to say later that the vehicle is in excellent condition with many, many extras, and it has won numerous car shows, specifically best in show. Oh, must be a Corvette then. Well, like I said, I'm not going to tell you. Uh, I mean, I've won best in show in my class many, many times. In your class? Yes. Have you ever won like best in overall show? Well, no, that's ridiculous. Okay, sorry, I'm... I'm over here asking dumb questions. Ridiculous producer, Ethan, question, I'm sorry. really. Yeah. Uh, the they say the matching trailer is an eye catcher and great for hauling extra toys when traveling to shows. Well, so. now I'm confused because I thought it was a prowler, but no, you'd have to be quite the the idiot to have a trailer on your Corvette, especially if it matched. Yeah. So are you that's uh, real presumptuous. Are you pretty confident that this is a Corvette, or I guess you were up? Until- I mean, I don't know how you win a best in show without a Corvette, but that trailer has me <laughs> just befuddled. So it is an American car. Well, of course. <laughs> uh, it has an, a 2.4 liter inline four engine. What? Yeah, so it's not a Corvette. Uh, this Sounds is, like it's missing half of the engine. <laughs> uh, it is a 2003 Chrysler PT Cruiser Ooh. GT Turbo. What a piece of junk. <laughs> Who takes one of those to shows? I have no idea. Well, this guy does, and me? he wins a lot of awards <laughs> because of it. He must not go to any real shows. He wouldn't go to any show I was at. Uh, no freaking way you can win a best in show with a PT Cruiser. So the You can go down to the local <laughs> buy here, pay here lot and buy one of those things for like $200 a week. But it's not going to... It's a Chrysler. <laughs> those things are built like crap. I thought it couldn't be worse than a PT Cruiser. I mean, you couldn't put 50,000 miles on a, on a, I mean, on a Prowler. Those things are terrible to drive. I wouldn't know. I've never driven one, but I hear they're awful. <laughs> Got no visibility in that terrible Chrysler interior. I can't believe somebody, somebody spent that kind of money on a PT Cruiser. Oh, my goodness. What is wrong with people? 
I it so the trailer looks like the rear end of a PT cruiser that they tow around. It also has aftermarket clear like white taillights, and it has its own spoiler like wing on it that matches the wing on the PT cruiser. That sounds pretty cool, Hank. That's pretty <laughs> awful. <laughs> so that's that uh, sounds hideous. That's like Oprah Winfrey getting a small doll of herself and hauling it around behind her. You can't get more ugly unless you get a small version of yourself. Why Oprah? Goodness yeah. gracious. Know, we got Hank all worked up today. I know. This is not... Uh, yeah. My goodness. All right. Well, we appreciate it, Hank. Uh, I'm surprised that Chrysler piece of crap made it 50,000 miles. They did say that it's never cycled through the engine, which I'm assuming means it's never blown the engine, which is a surprise. How much do they want for that thing? Um, let me let me go back and check. Hold on a second. Uh, oh, they want fifteen thousand dollars. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you very much, Hank, uh, for coming in. <laughs> that was the Corvette curmudgeon. Everyone brought to you unwittingly by the Corvette Buy Sell Trade Group on Facebook, which is your source for cranky boomers, overpriced Corvettes, and reinforced stereotypes. Welcome back, Doug. Hi. We got Hank really worked up tonight. I I saw. Yeah, he was, really wow. stormed out of here in a huff. I got to have a talk with him about the concept of uh, audio clipping <laughs> whenever he's on the uh, <laughs> Was he? Uh, <laughs> my man's just screaming the whole time. <laughs> well, you know, he gets a, he, he's well, you got are opinions. A sound, you are the producer. You you have knobs and no, stuff. No, that, that, well, yeah. He has I, knobs I, and <laughs> stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah you just know, fiddle with I got knobs. knobs and whatnot. No, it's on me to talk to him, but he's always gone by the time. The, he's already, he's left now. I don't <laughs> Picks up and shiz check, and he goes home. Yeah, I got no. T- he doesn't Wait, have a phone. He, he doesn't have a, a cell phone. <laughs> he has a landline that is only his wife answers. So I can't ever. I talk think we to could probably guy. pay him in lottery tickets. <laughs> Kino. <laughs> Kino. <laughs> oh, man. my man so plays a lot spe- of Kino. Speaking of Corvettes, I was at Road Atlanta this weekend racing a Corvette. Ooh. It was uh, one of the first Corvette C5s ever to be entered into Lemons, which is supposed to be $500 cars. Um, but it was nicely disguised by a, a Ford Maverick body. So everybody loved it, I think. But um, we did not win. We had some electrical issues that, um, due to the rain that beset us. So we were very fast, but we didn't win. But it was fun to haul around a... a a Corvette around Road Atlanta in the wet all weekend. Um, and speaking of rare cars, since we're on the topic of Corvettes. Rare. Rare. Uh, a listener a couple weeks ago brought up a great point about the Porsche 996 when we were talking about, like, special editions. Tyler's I'm, I'm all parked up. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> is my gray interior rare? <laughs> That's really funny because I literally put in my notes to comment that your ears were perked up <laughs> because I knew you would, but you literally Very stole. Interesting. They're not in Tyler's notes. He stole my line. Um, I've always said that there's no limit to the number of limited edition Porsches made, and the 2004 911 40 Jar, the anniversary mm, yeah. edition, is no exception. They made 1963 of them, 1,963 of a limited edition because, you know, the first... 911 was introduced in 1963. So, um, but that happens to be far more than the number of base 996 coupes that they made that year. <laughs> so, amazing. the special edition rare one is less rare than a 2004 base 911. 
But boy, I tell you, those 40 Yar edition guys really like to tell you how rare their car is, I, how special I it is. I do like the spec, though. It is a nice car. It was the only way that you could get a limited slip diff in a 996 other than really early ones because of their stability management uh, software, like could not work with one. And it also had the X51 package standard and it was GT silver. Yeah. Right. And you got the the first year you could get that color. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, because it was it was the Carrera GT color. Oh, yes. That makes sense. Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I am almost positive that that color was made for the Carrera GT. So that was first available in 2004 on other models. And you got the like turbo front bumper on a narrow body car, which is up to debate on yeah. if that looks good or not. And the but. good wheels and the color match wheels. And yeah, yeah. I, I really, really like those. I That would be probably my pick if I had... Um, if I had a 996, other than obviously a GT3, but you know, or a GT2, but I would take one over 996 turbo. Um, speaking of continuing to speak of rare cars and transitioning to a market update, uh, or, or an update of what we spoke about last week, there was an Aston Martin DB9, um, that sold, it was a, a stick shift DB9, which is interesting because there's only about 137 of those in North America total. And I think there's a lesson to be learned here, a little bit of one, because it, while one, it had 100,000 miles, which is very, very high mileage for an Aston Martin. But many people have higher mileage DB9s and have proven that these cars are quite robust. But it ended on a Sunday afternoon, which is not ideal for auctions. I've always said that. Um, And the high bid was 26,000 and a quarter, which was wicked cheap. So they relisted it a couple weeks later for no reserve and with a weekday end. They didn't refoto it, which they should have because it the presentation score was pretty low and I think that's also important. But it sold for 30,250. So 4 grand more for sending it no reserve and doing a weekday end. I think I still think it should have gone for more. Uh, a 50,000 mile car that we discussed sold recently for 48. So a uh, little low, but uh, still a, a really, really fantastic deal for those cars. Um, it's it's a far, far better car than my 970,000 mile Ferrari 456 GT that's worth <laughs> twice as much. Actual miles, right? Uh, sure. No, <laughs> non-actual mileage brand. Never, never seen a brand on a car that high usually it's a low mileage car that's anyway <laughs> the opposite right uh speaking of db9s i did not buy an aston martin one of certificate for what? my stick shift db9 Doug. because they are 200 dollars, and i just don't care that much Honestly. are you telling me that we don't have 200 dollars socked away in the switchcast vault of cash Listen, to get- if you all want to send stars and, and stuff with your questions and, and we raise $200 tonight, I will order an Aston Martin one-off certificate. But I don't think anyone else really cares, honestly. I just want you to waste the money on it. They're, they're all <laughs> one of something. They're Aston Martins. They're British cars. They're bespoke. They're all bespoke. Uh, anyway, um, and you, you only care if you're selling it anyway. And I'm not selling it, so whatever. Um, I was, however, informed that Martha Stewart also has a stick DB9. And like it still? actually gets driven. Yeah. Wow. She has over 20,000 miles of it. 
Now, hers is a one of two in Sky Silver, I think it was. Uh, that information is courtesy of Dan Doucette. You can find him on the Facebook group, Dan Doucette Knows More Than You, because he does. Uh, both of them, though, Tyler, happen to have bison interior. Yes. Slight correction before we continue. It is oyster silver. Oyster silver. I'm yes. sorry. Oyster silver. Do they harvest oysters? Because you know the early Porsches, their metallic flake. Do you know what their metallic flake was made of? It was fish scales, it? Wasn't was it? fish scales. Oh. So I wonder yeah. if they actually like really? harvest oysters and like use their juice or something in the, <laughs> in the, in the color. <laughs> no. Oh, look, it's so watery. It looks... <laughs> Uh, anyway, what color was the interior? Let's see. We're talking about Martha past. Stewart. <laughs> what? We're talking about Martha Stewart. Martha Stewart. Right? Yeah. 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 Uh, yes. No, it, it's it's bison interior. So do they go on... So, so they're, they're a bunch of British dudes making this. Do they go on a safari and like Land Rovers to go get the bison for this interior? Is that how that works? I, I feel like that's something that they would do. This is Aston Martin. And they probably take, they have a, a special edition Range Rover with, with guns. It's oh, like the, it's yeah. the Heckler, Heckler and Hotch or uh, uh, Holland and Holland edition. Yeah, it's it got the like, drawers of guns. Yes, it comes back. with hunting guns. Yes, it's sponsored uh. by Holland and Holland, and it comes with yeah special compartments for your guns. So yes, the, the Aston Martin people, to get their bison <laughs> interior, take their Holland and Holland edition Ranger over out on a safari, oh. shoot some bison, and skin it. That's This is why they're all one of one. They're all right. very rare. right. This is Very why intense. my question about the, the oysters used to create the metallic flake for the exterior was a legitimate question. Yep. Do they actually go out and like shuck oysters and <laughs> mix it into the paint? <laughs> Just grind it up. <laughs> we should ask Martha. It's so funny. So well, somebody's you've got her send cell her phone DM number. real quick. Yeah. Well, she does live in Maine, so I, I should know her. Because <laughs> everybody knows each other in Maine. <laughs> <laughs> I know the hill she lives on. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's maybe a little weird to say, but all right. Uh, yeah. If she ever passes away, it'll be the hill she died on. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, Martha. She's definitely listening right now. <laughs> she's waited her the entire time this podcast has been on. She's like, maybe one day they'll hey, mention you know what? Aston. Well, if she is and she complains, <laughs> that'll just be curtains for this show. Oh. Done. <laughs> about? Um, I'll be honest. I've been sitting here this whole time trying to like think of some like insider trading joke to make. I, I just said nothing. Nothing's come out. I was thinking like with the clam and the oyster stuff. I'm like, oh, that's some insider information. But I had, I had him explain insider trading to me like eight times. And to be honest, it sounds a lot like what we do here every day. Thank you, Kevin. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, oh my goodness! Well, Martha, we love you, Martha. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to a commercial. Potential right. sponsor gone. Switchcast is yeah. <laughs> We're gonna miss out on that Martha Stewart money. Well, the Maybe question approach, is: Would you rather have a Martha Stewart color in your home or a Porsche backdrop color on your wall? Honestly, Martha Stewart. I'll get made fun of less. <laughs> Aren't they one and the same? Probably right. 
Probably. Yeah, it's all the same factories. It's it's oyster silver. <laughs> all right. There's no oyster juices happening here because SwitchCast is brought to you by Celebrity Machines. Yeah, who's paying for those? Celebrity Machines offers more than 250 different screen-accurate <laughs> license plates as they've appeared in movies and TV shows like Back to the Future, Ghostbusters, The Fast and the Furious, Breaking Bad, and so many more. Celebrity Machines also makes our dealer insert plates, as well as our commemorative 2539 plates from the fastest cannonball run ever. Visit CelebrityMachines.com for more info and use promo code SWITCHCAST to save 25.39% at checkout. Great Christmas gifts, people. Great Christmas gifts for the person that you don't know what to get. Find out their favorite movie, and Travis probably has a plate from a vehicle in that movie. It is wild to scroll through his website and see all of the like amazingly obscure things yeah. that he has plates of. It's amazing that people like get into that too, that they like watch a movie and they're like, oh my gosh, that was a plate from that car. Like, I don't pay that much attention. So Unless it really stands out. Like the the ass man that you showed earlier is obviously like right. a famous bit, like a very Seinfeld prominent staple. bit. Yeah. But it was also part of like <laughs> an entire episode centered around That's the true. whole episode. So, well, the, the Kramer B plot was all about that license <laughs> yeah. plate, yeah. at least. Yes. Yeah. Well, but the then, Kramer like, B plot is the is best the, part uh, of Seinfeld. So typically yeah. it is. But yeah. then, like, I, I, I don't know what license plate he sells from Breaking Bad because I've never paid attention to the plates on the cars. And that, oh, there's the lawyer up from Saul Goodman. That's lawyer probably up, it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, sure I was it. thinking, I'm like, what plate did uh, did he have on his Aztec? I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> but like, well, the Aztec he, stands out. The Aztec does, but then he got a what did he get? Oh, we got a charge. A charger. Uh, right? Yeah, he got a charger, and his son got a Challenger. Yeah. They were like racing. Well, his son with. had a PT Cruiser for a little bit, if you remember. <laughs> oh, did he really? So maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe there's a tie into this. Uh. All right. Well, uh, before we get into the main topic, because we may get off on a, a big tangent on that, I do want to uh, go go to the shrewd negotiator very quickly. Brought to you by Vin Wiki. Um, this is somebody who's trying their best to take advantage of a buyer or a seller and usually shrewdly or not so shrewdly negotiating themselves into a disadvantage. So this one was uh, we got offered a very nice M3 this week, but in doing our due diligence on the VIN number, we found that it had sold less than a month ago on Bring a Trailer. No reserve. So we're thinking, okay, why are we getting offered this car? Well, because the seller who put it up on Bring a Trailer decided that they did not like the price that they got on this no reserve auction and they just backed out of the deal and now they're trying to shop it around everywhere. So kind of screwed themselves by trying to be shrewd. They screwed by shrewd. There's there's a saying there. I got to I got to workshop this. <laughs> they shrewded themselves into anyway. Um so but there's a there's a couple lessons here. Uh, one, bring a trailer is not the be all end all. Even if you run it no reserve, there's always a risk. A lot of people point to the record setting uh, results and think that, oh, well, I'm also going to achieve that kind of crazy deal. But not every car sells above market. Some of them sell at market. The vast majority of them sell at market, and uh, some of them sell below market. And the number that he got for this M3, I think it sold for like 38 grand or something like that, was slightly above wholesale. I think we offered him like 36 or 36.5 for the car. So it really wasn't that great of a buy. However, if you're going to sell no reserve, just friggin' stand by it. 
right? Like at the very least, at least she'll bid if you don't like the number. Like be willing to pay the 5% to buy your car back as your own insurance and pay that penalty. But don't just sell it and then go, oh, shoot, well, that wasn't the number I wanted. That's what a reserve is for, is for saying that's not the number I wanted. You said no reserve, sell it. Yeah, but they see all these no reserve auctions go crazy, and they're like, oh, my car's going to be worth, it's going to go nuts. I got like five grand below wholesale one time for a Porsche Boxster GTS. This was back in like 18 or 19 before stuff went up crazy. Porsche Boxster GTS. I got like 52 grand for this thing, and I could have wholesaled it 11 ways since Sunday or whatever the saying is for 55. And I'm like, well, shoot. It went. You went some, you lose some. Sold, right? I, I, anyway, so I, I've been reading Psalm 15 uh, every morning, almost every morning with my son. We've been trying to memorize it. One of the, the verses in there is um, it, it commends the person who swears to his own hurt and does not change, which the first time we read it, because he's seven, he goes, wait, what? You're not supposed to swear. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This is like, <laughs> if you make a deal and then like, you realize it wasn't that great of a deal for you, you still stand by it. You still honor it. And like, that's the mark of somebody with integrity. So this guy shrewdly screwed himself out of a deal. And now he's trying to shop his car around and it's not working for him. So um, anyway, the, the main discussion topic, and and there was a, a, an article that was sent to me or an Instagram post that was sent to me by our boy, John Sabo. And it was uh, Johnny Lieberman's post about forming or, or, or being involved in the launch of Drift Capital. Now, Drift Capital is a fractional ownership uh, for um, high-end cars, and it is for the purpose of investment. So their opening uh, tagline essentially says, uh, they're an asset management firm that invests in the world's rarest and most valuable cars. We provide investors with curated exposure to a diverse to a diversified portfolio of illustrious horsepower. It's a lot of big words that don't say much. I have a lot of things to say about this. Do you? You're ready to just you're ready to roll. Well, one, I did reach out to Johnny Lieberman via DM and he didn't respond. So I, I did actually try to get his take on what they're doing. Um, and, and wasn't able to before the show, I did talk to somebody, uh, that had a lot of experience with rally road though, which is another type of fractional ownership, uh, uh, website. Now where I believe they differ, at least from looking at drift capital is, uh, if you're not familiar with rally road, it is a website and an app where you can go on and you can buy shares just like their stocks. Uh, they're registered on the SEC. They're IPOs of these items. You can do it with cars. You can do it with art. You can do it with baseball cards. Any collectible item, you can go on and buy a share. With Rally Road, anybody can go in there. Like, you know, if you can afford a share, you can buy in. So it might be 20 bucks a share. It might be 80 bucks a share. You can have like, you know, you can play with a little bit of money or you can play with a lot of money. The best I can ascertain from Drift Capital's website is that they are not that. They are more of a hedge fund type 
uh, organization where they have larger dollar investors, uh, there's probably a minimum buy-in and they are procuring higher-end cars and they're doing it with a limited number of investors and, and they're running it more like a hedge fund as opposed to like a Robin Hood, you know, just trading app. Um, either way, I don't like the idea, period, for, for many reasons that we've talked about before. Um, it's, it's looking at cars as good investments, which I don't believe they are. I just don't. There's too much maintenance. There's too much upkeep. There's insurance. There's housing them. There's, you know, the cost of them sitting. There's maintenance if they sit, right? You can't treat them just like art or baseball cards or, or, or whatever. Like they, it costs a lot of money for them not to be used. Um, and that's like one of my biggest questions with, because I heard about these a couple of years ago. I don't know. We've mentioned it before is what happens? Do they own a warehouse that the owners of, of these groups just park the cars in and maintain them and probably joyride them to an extent and, and, and use it? Like, and then do you, what happens when they sell? Like how, there's so many questions because sure. it's like a, it is a, a thing that it get it requires more upkeep, like you said, if it sits. Right. And who knows what's going to happen? And we obviously don't like cars being investments, but it just seems like a very right. Yeah. So I I picked apart uh, the guy who had had long term involvement with Rally Road uh, gave me some insight in terms of their operations, and some of this is publicly available because they have actual IPOs for their stuff. Everything is all of their balance sheets, all of their numbers are, are filed on the SEC's website. So it's actually fun because they have an IPO coming up of a Ferrari 355 GTB for 295,000, which is a big number for a 355. And I could actually go on the SEC's website and look at their balance sheet and look at what they had acquired it for. And, it, and they had bought it for 188000 plus like eighty grand in essentially shares that they gave to the seller of the car, which I feel like don't have any actual face value because you got to trade them or, or sell them off. So, you know, what is the real purchase price of that car? I'm not sure. But they build in quite a lot of profit uh, right out of the gate. So essentially, they're buying it, quote unquote, wholesale, they're selling it above retail to their shareholders on the IPO, because they have to build in five years worth of maintenance, upkeep, storage, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Now with Rally Road, they have a big warehouse with all their cars, and they do not get driven. They get moved around to, to like for private events and stuff like that. They, I think they have a place in downtown Manhattan where they have um, cocktail parties and events and fashion shows, and sometimes they'll have a car there. But essentially, these cars just sit in a big warehouse. Um, now, in theory, after a certain amount of time, you could sell the car and realize the gains. But the issue with a, a platform like Rally Road is you have hundreds or thousands of shareholders that have to approve the sale of any asset that it's like, well, somebody could make an offer. They have to wire money to escrow and then sit and wait for everybody to vote on it, for the board of Rally Road to vote on it, for all the shareholders or at least a majority of them to approve it, which, you know, if you're making a bunch of money on your shares, then probably they will. Um, but it's just it's a very cumbersome way 
to realize your gains and it's not very liquid. What I can tell about Drift Capital is their philosophy it looks like they're essentially looking to hold them until such time as they can realize the gain and then they're going to sell the car. So it looks like their their goal is not to hold them long-term, but to invest, hold until such time as they can sell them, realize the gain, recycle it over and over again. Um, so a question, so if the, and you didn't say Drift Capital did this, and we don't know, I guess, what they're doing unless you do. But the the other one, Rally Road, who has to build in, they're the ones that build in the maintenance and the upkeep, right? Yes. So to realize the the gains, do you have to? Does the car have to appreciate to be more than that original value? Because you're paying to buy shares of something at this inflated value for this upkeep for the next five years. Yes. What if at the end of that, it's not worth more than it took to maintain it, which is very common in cars. <laughs> If at that point you were to sell, would you technically lose money on your shares if it hadn't reached this value? Well, you would have to approve the sale. So, so, just, so the car has to appreciate faster than it is than the expense to maintain it. Correct. For you to make money. Correct. Which on a lot of these cars will be challenging. Although here's <laughs> here's the interesting thing, right? So, and I think this is maybe just good timing of their release. Rally Road, most of Rally Road's cars are worth, one, more than they paid for them, and two, significantly more than the current share value. So I do not advise, this is not investment advice, this is not me advising to go buy Rally Road, but I was looking at some of their trades available today, and I was very, very intrigued because, one, the premise... uh, well, it seems like nobody's made money from the IPO. Almost all of them were down between 20 to 50% of the share value from the IPO. Oh. So the concept is not proving to be great for the investors. However, most of them, the total market capitalization of the shares was about half of what the car was worth. So there's a Jaguar XJ220 on there that the market cap was about 3 20, I think, or 340,000, that's a 600 to $700,000 car. There was a Ferrari 512BBI on there that the market cap was 175,000. And the one thing Rally Road does well is they buy really, really, really good examples of stuff for the most part. Um, so they're trying to buy top of the market cars, not like roaches. Um, they're not Ratty Road, they're Rally Road. <laughs> Um, there was a, there's a Lamborghini Diablo SE 30 Yoda that is at uh, 400 some odd thousand. That's half of what the car is worth. So if you went in and bought up a crap ton of shares of those three cars and just sat on the shares until such time as they liquidated them, if they liquidate them when the cars are still worth that much, which I kind of doubt those cars are going down in value. They're fairly iconic, timeless supercars. Uh, you would make a bunch of money. And I was very, very tempted. I was very tempted because I'm like, man, I th- this is a real car. There is an XJ220 sitting in this warehouse that's worth $600,000. And I could buy any number of shares for essentially half that value. The problem is the liquidity. I can't force them to sell. Yeah, because then in order to get out, you'd have to sell your shares to someone else who's interested. Exactly. Which is probably only going to trade at whatever that fair price is, which exactly. is not and with that's the market a cap. Of- fairly limited 
number of people. It's it's not it's not like the stock market where there's always buyers where they're constantly trading. So it's it's uh, it's interesting. But what what I'm assuming Drift Capital is based on the the information I gleaned from their website is more of a, a high net worth hedge fund. Um, but it's still like it's not fractional ownership as they say it is because you don't get to use it right and going back to rally road it's basically like automotive nfts like you don't even get to see it or anything like it's somewhere <laughs> somebody said um somebody said about the white collection that sold last week i think it was a jalopnik article or, or something there was there was a real cranky article online and they were like oh yeah this guy sounds like a lot of fun and he owns a bunch of white Porsches. Like, there's nothing like going to a party and being that guy that's like, oh, yeah, I have 50 Porsches. They're all the same color. They all look the same, and I never drive them. They sit in a <laughs> warehouse. Like, you know, whatever. To each his own. I, I, collect, there's a lot of collectors who love having similar stuff and a theme, and, and they don't drive them. They have them as, as art, and that, that's fine. But I get the guy's point. But to take that even up or down a notch, like – the only thing worse than that is being like, yeah, I have this car, except I don't. I have like one 180th of this car, and I never get to see it or drive it. But look, it's it's on my phone. See? Somebody promised Here's me it's in a specs. warehouse somewhere. Look at these photos. Oh, gosh. Um, But there have been funds in the past that have done this and done okay. And there's been a lot of funds that have not done this and that people do it all across the board. They do it for bourbon. They do it for art. They do it for anything that they deem collectible. Um, the most real world example of this, I think is, is REITs. So the, the real, real estate investment trust where you can buy into a fund that owns rental properties the big difference there, though, is rental properties and homes generate cash flow. And real estate has always appreciated, other than a couple, you know, crashes. Like, if you look over time, real estate has always appreciated. Not all cars have. It's very volatile. So, and the difference is real estate generates cash flow, whereas cars eat cash. Yeah, that's what I was saying with all the maintenance. Like, this is not... Uh what is what is interesting is and we've talked about this a bunch with the value of all of these cars like the people that truly made the money are the people that bought them 20 years ago when they were worth nothing because they thought they were cool you said last week right. in talking about the car market that if you are buying in when it's hot you're losing like because you're not or it's like with stocks and stuff like you buy in at the peak you're not making the money that everybody is all hyped about because you're at the top right. However, that is true. The question is, what is the top? Because uh, Nick Mason founded a fund in 2011. I think there was a bunch of articles in 2011. I haven't seen anything about it since then, so I don't know, know how it did, but I think it was a fairly private thing. But Nick Mason founded uh, essentially a $150 million hedge fund back in 2011. And I remember reading about it at the time, and they said, well, collector cars have appreciated X amount over the last decades. Some of these have gone up 400%, 200%, whatever. And so their goal was a 15% annualized return on this fund. And at the time, I'm like, well, that's dumb. Why would you buy in when you have this recent history of these astronomical returns? Wouldn't you then expecting them to be go down? 
to go down. And they were targeting like Ferrari 250 body cars, 250 GTOs, McLaren F1s, like crazy stuff. Now, if they actually pulled that off and bought those cars at that time, they would have made absolute bank for a couple of reasons. One, they were searching out the best of the best of cars that, you know, there there is a small fraction of collector cars at the upper echelon that do not go down in value. 250 GTO will likely never go down in value. A McLaren F1 will likely never go down in value. You can't apply that across all of potential collector cars. Um, but two, their timing in 2011 was amazing. The world was in a global meltdown economically, and you could have bought a, a Porsche 911 for 20 grand in 2011 and sold it for 100 in 2015 just by getting lucky. So they probably made a crap ton of money. But there was another one in Switzerland. It's called Classic Fund, which when it launched in 2021, claimed to be the first ever, which it wasn't, obviously. Um, but people love selling themselves. Uh, but there was a good article on this Classic Fund, and it was by Alton Insights. And it broke down the number numbers a couple years after its formation. And the returns were quite mediocre. Uh, it was about a 4% annualized return. So they beat inflation barely, but did not beat any of the major indices. Uh, the fees also were astronomical. There's a 3% subscription fee, a half to three quarters of a percent in management fees, a 5% advisory fee, and a 30% performance fee. So the only people that made money were the folks running the thing. Yes. Oh, interesting yes. how that works. Right. So I'd be curious to see what the fees or what the structure is with Drift Capital, but I have to imagine they are going to have to build in costs, even though they market it like, oh, if you invest in this fund, you don't have to worry about the insurance and the maintenance, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm like, those things still cost money. Somebody has to pay for it. It's baked into all of this. So I don't know. the bigger problem to me, the biggest problem is the philosophy, is that it, it, these different funds, and I think Rally Road especially, is trying to cement this concept of cars as an alternative asset class. And in general, cars are a liability. There's something to be enjoyed. There's something, there's something that costs money. And Rally Road in particular, because of the accessibility of it, has taken that philosophy and it's moved it out of like the super wealthy line of thought. And it's made the average Joe car enthusiast like think about cars as an asset class. Now, they're not necessarily buying up cars, but they're buying up shares in cars and they're continuing to to fuel these companies that are buying up cars and that's driving cars up in value. So in a sense, it's becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy, but it's also just continuing to feed this narrative that cars are assets. And then, so you have people buying a couple grand worth of shares and then they're like, Oh, well shoot my, my Honda civic SI, that's an asset. It's going to appreciate. And so you have this line of thinking across all aspects of cars that really isn't true. Well, and that's where I take issue with a lot of this stuff. Um, it just so happens the stuff I'm going to list, I am a fan of. Um, it's cars, whiskey, even things like 
video games, when you get into these things becoming collectible, which they are because of certain rarities or, or, or a, a greater experience than another thing, uh, it's fine. By using these things as an investment, you are directly opposed to the purpose of the thing. The thing was created for enjoyment and usability, which is where, as an enthusiast of the things I listed, I like to use things. I would like other enthusiasts to be able to afford and use these things. The thought of par- Now, granted, I can't afford and use a Veyron, no matter how much I want it. So if that's the cars these are buying, it's not directly affecting me. But the narrative you mentioned of everybody is thinking that these things are investments now is just driving up all the prices and has historically over the past few years. Yep. And it, a lot of what we complain about is that just ruins some of the fun. Like talking about crazy sales is kind of fun because it's like, whoa, this like hyper rare white 918 went for a ton of money. But, but then but everybody's it, it, talking about it's value. It's been dominating the conversation yes. on all the forums. People are just, oh, this value, that value. It's like, go drive your car. Yes. Go drive your car. And, and to kind of put a cap on that if you don't have anything else profound to say, because I certainly don't. Um, Ironically, Nick Mason was quoted in 2017 as a contrarian to his own concept of his hedge fund in 2011. And he's talking about people who speculated on cars and stuffed them away. And he said, quote, I don't think it's a wise thing to do. It's like buying wine, even if you don't like it. I agree with that. I like it. He's the guy who bought a 250 GTO for 17 grand back in the 80s or 70s because he just thought it was cool. And he drives it, and he races it, and now it's worth $40 million. But he'd probably be just Wild. as happy if it was still worth twenty grand. So uh, I, I like that. You're, you're talking about the drummer for Pink Floyd, right? I am, yes. He's okay. an avid car yeah. collector and so racer. Cool. Yeah, yeah, he races a Goodwood and vintage racing stuff. We uh, we did have ourselves a super chat on YouTube come in awesome. while we were uh, talking that about all that. That could be the question of the week brought to us by Nuts for Sticks. Nuts for Sticks is a brand <laughs> celebrating the Mano transmission in all of its forms. So forget those flappy paddles because we like shifting ourselves. Check out our fun and funny stick-themed shirts at NutsForSticks.com and save 10% on your order using the discount code SWITCHCAST. That is NutsForSticks.com and use code SWITCHCAST. So we've got uh, Patel Philippe here with the super chat for our question of the week. Howdy, Doug. Love your stories and this podcast. What Thank do you. you. Uh, what do you see the bottom for the Huracan? Pick any gen. Eventually, could be. Uh, there will be no bottom. They made too many of them, and it's a boring car. So it's just going to plummet. Twenty grand. Oh my god, that would be kind of amazing. <laughs> There's nothing special about it. I mean. There's not, but that would for twenty grand. I I say that modern modern supercars, if I dare say the Huracan is a supercar, uh, have been built to a higher standard than old ones. And as much as the old ones are rare and special and cool, like a Huracan does nothing for me emotionally. But you can go road trip it across the country with no issues. Uh, McLarens are excluded from this discussion here, but <laughs> like I, I think because of that, they will have a fairly high floor is because they're usable. So anybody can have one and own one. It won't break the bank mechanically. It has modern creature comforts 
anybody can drive it. It's it's not uncomfortable. It has a backup camera, has all the things, and it does everything normally, like a real car. So I don't know. Probably low hundreds for like a bad one is going to be the floor on those, but we shall see. Um, with that, we are we are out of time, and we have some longer flops and props of the week so we're gonna have an extra long episode a little bit tonight uh so right to the props and flops which are brought to you by switch cars switch cars is the enthusiasts dealership where we buy sell consign service and store only cars that we like ourselves so check out our check out our hand-picked inventory at switchcars.com and the pick of the week this week from switch cars inventory is what do we got 1988 Porsche 911 Targa, black over tan, long-term ownership since 2004 with great service history and uh, reasonable mileage on it, mostly original paint and just a very clean overall example. That can be found on our website for $82,980 and $1,000 off if you mention discount code SWITCHCAST. The flop of the week. Cybertruck versus 911 race. <laughs> yes, that's right, ladies and gentlemen. A Cybertruck hauling a Porsche 911 in a publicity stunt beat the 911 in a quarter-mile drag race. Although it wasn't a quarter-mile, it was an eighth-mile. And not only did Musk state, quote, it can tow a Porsche 911 across a quarter-mile faster than the Porsche 911 can go by itself, so it was misleading that they said quarter-mile, but it was an eighth-mile, uh, but an eighth mile drag race is also just dumb. Like any all wheel drive car can beat anything else in an eighth mile. <laughs> it's almost like it was made to capitalize on the very specific benefits of an electric all wheel drive vehicle right. for marketing you purposes. Would think. What? All that torque, right? And I think they picked a rear wheel drive base model Porsche 911, right? So if they raced a, a 911 Turbo S, it would have walked all over the Cybertruck. But, I, like, even picking a 911 is just dumb. 911s were not made to drag race. Like, this just, it's, Porsche never claimed to be, nor cared to be good at drag racing. Like, it's not, it's not what they're made for. And it, I mean, it just, it goes back to the old hamburger analogy, right? You can microwave a steak faster than you can grill it, but nobody ever wanted to microwave steak. Where like does the it, hamburger come into this? Steak, hamburger, whatever. It's, it's beef. <laughs> What's for dinner? I was confused, too. <laughs> okay. But, like, Tesla keeps putting forth, and the, the EV proponents keep putting forth this saying of, like, they're so fast. They're so fast. You see the 0 to 60 numbers. They're so fast. They accelerate so fast. I'm like, that's all they do. It's a one-trick pony. Like, I don't, I don't care how fast a quarter mile is in, in a Tesla, like, I'm going to beat it out of the refueling stop by 20 minutes. So it doesn't matter how fast it can get to 100. I'm already 20 miles down the road because it took me five minutes to put gas in it, and you're still waiting in line for go. the charger. So, well, sp speaking of Tesla, at least, uh, did you see that they're now recalling 2 million Teslas? Oh, yes. Majority of North America. For, yeah. for what? I just saw this today. Uh, it's the that autopilot, whatever, whatever right. that feature so is called. There's more than a thousand crashes. More than a thousand the, crashes. The they're calling the majority. So the NHTSA of, was, I guess, put some pressure on them to the due to the high number of crashes. Yeah. So two million. That's a lot. A lot of cars. Now, 
I feel like that's a whole different discussion, right? Autopilot has to be over here, not autopilot, but autonomous cars and EVs are two totally different discussions with to different political implications. Of course, yeah. The whole thing. I know it's kind of synonymous with Tesla because <laughs> Tesla is leading the charge in autonomy. Right. But I am a for and against autonomy for totally different reasons than the EV hate. But um, anyway... I don't know. It's just this whole thing about acceleration for EVs has got to stop. Like, I want a truck that does truck things, and I want an SUV that can haul more than a wagon, and a sports car that goes around corners. Right? Like, EVs are they're one trick pony. Or, or as my man Tesla, t- Tesla, my, my man Tyler said <laughs> about Teslas, this, I'm literally quoting him. The Cybertruck is Silicon Valley hipsters' idea of what a real truck should be. Oh, I did say that, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, I was like, what did. did I say? I loved it. <laughs> They're going to get in trouble I again. loved it. Uh, prop of the week is from CNBC. Ford CEO Jim Farley announced that they are drastically slashing EV production. Ford lost over $4.5 billion this past year, according to YouTube oh, channel no Charge Drive, on EVs, not like overall, on EVs, they lost $4.5 billion. Uh, and they're cutting lightning production in half for 2024, as well as cutting way back on a battery plant and all other EV production because they just are not selling. I love it. Doggone. Love it. And uh, somebody else emailed me that there was a study that calculates the taxpayers are on the hook for a staggering 53 thousand dollars for every electric vehicle sale or 22 billion dollars annually and that is not include wow. the recently extended seventy five hundred dollar tax credit for certain ev purchases i wonder what other places that money could have been put for potentially environmentally positive things right that don't involve ripping rare earth materials out of the ground in a foreign country right what <clears throat> which Sorry. has no emission standards or or, or yeah. human rights for that matter yeah. Weird. Yeah. People wonder why I'm against EVs. It's not because I don't like them. It's because of this stuff. This stuff. We're paying for it. The government's paying for it. They're forcing it down our throats. But we don't talk about politics here on SwitchCast. We talk about cars. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for the Talk About Cars. Stick around, you who are watching live, for Tip Talk. If you want to get your questions in, chat with us live. We'll have a bonus round after the regular segment. Uh, for the rest of you, thank you for joining us. Thank you to my team here, Ethan Huffnagel and Tyler Sanders, not Tesla Sanders. Thank you <laughs> to our sponsors, Boxcast, Nuts for Sticks, Switch Cars, Celebrity Machines, Parallel Printworks, and Stephen Holm Woodworking. Our bumper music is provided by Emily and Ivory. You can stream their full album on Spotify or SoundCloud, and you can see them live at Coda this Thursday at 9 p.m. for a special Christmas little concert. This episode will be available next Monday in audio format wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next Wednesday live at 8 p.m. as we look forward to edifying, educating, and entertaining you on the drive of your life. <laughs>